Chapter Nine of the Gloved Hand by Burton E. Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Nine. First Steps. We found a little group of men gathered about the chair in which sat the huddled body. Two of them I already knew. One was Detective Sergeant Simmons, and the other Coroner Goldberger, both of whom I had met in previous cases simmons was a stolid unimaginative but industrious and efficient officer with whom godfrey had long ago concluded an alliance offensive and defensive in other words godfrey threw what story he could to simmons and simmons such stories as he could to godfrey and so the arrangement was to their mutual advantage goldberger was a more astute man than the detective in that he possessed a strain of semitic imagination a quick wit and a fair degree of insight he was in his glory in a case like this this was shown now by his gleaming eyes and the trembling hand which pulled nervously at his short black moustache goldberger's moustache was a good index to his mental state the more ragged it grew the more baffling he found the case in hand both he and simmons glanced up at our entrance and nodded briefly then their eyes went back to that huddled figure there were three other men present whom i did not know but i judged them to be the plain-clothesmen whom simmons had brought along at godfrey's suggestion they stood a little to one side until their superiors had completed the examination i didn't stop to pick up my physician goldberger was saying but the cause of death is plain enough dr hinman here is a physician i said bringing him forward if he can be of any service goldberger glanced at him and was plainly favourably impressed by hinman's dark eager face and air of intelligence and self-control i shall be very glad of dr hinman's help said goldberger shaking hands with him have you examined the body sir only very casually answered hinman but it is evident that the cause of death was strangulation how long has he been dead hinman lifted the stiff hand again and ran his fingers along the muscles of the arm about four hours i should say goldberger glanced at his watch that would put his death at a little before midnight the murderer must have come in from the grounds crept up behind his victim thrown the cord about his neck and drawn it tight before his presence was suspected the victim would hardly have remained seated in the chair if he had known his danger after the cord was round his throat he had no chance he could not even cry out there is one thing i don't understand though he added after a moment where did that blood come from and he pointed to the dark spots on the collar of the white robe hinman looked up with a little exclamation i forgot he said did you find the handkerchief no i see you didn't and he pointed to where it lay on the floor i noticed it when i first looked at the body without a word goldberger bent and picked up the blood-stained handkerchief then he and simmons examined it minutely finally the coroner looked at godfrey and his eyes were very bright there can only be one inference he said the dead man is not bleeding the cord did not cut the flesh the blood then must have come from the murderer he must have been injured in some way bleeding profusely look at this handkerchief it is fairly soaked i am sure that at that instant the same thought was in godfrey's mind which flashed through mine for our eyes met and there was a shadow in his which i knew my own reflected then i glanced at hinman he was looking at the handkerchief thoughtfully his lips tightly closed i could guess what he was thinking but he said nothing 
goldberger laid the handkerchief on the table at last and turned back to the body he bent close above it examining the blood spots and when he stood erect again there was in his face a strange excitement lend me your glass simmons he said and when simmons handed him a small pocket magnifying glass he unfolded it and bent above the stains again scrutinizing each in turn at last he closed the glass with an emphatic little snap this case isn't going to be so difficult after all he said those spots are fingerprints with an exclamation of astonishment simmons took the glass and examined the stains then he handed it to godfrey who finally passed it on to me looking through it i saw that goldberger was right the stains had been made by human fingers most of them were mere smudges but here and there was one in which faint lines could be dimly traced they seem to be pretty vague i remarked passing the glass on to hinman they're plenty clear enough for our purpose said goldberger besides they will come out much clearer in photographs it's lucky this stuff is so smooth and closely woven he added fingering a corner of the robe or we wouldn't have got even those it's as hard and fine as silk how do you suppose those marks came there mr goldberger godfrey asked and there was in his tone a polite scepticism which evidently annoyed the coroner why there's only one way they could come there goldberger answered impatiently they were put there by the murderer's fingers as he drew the cord tight do you see anything improbable in that only that it seems too good to be true godfrey answered quietly and goldberger after looking at him a moment turned away with a shrug of the shoulders see if you can get the cord loose simmons he said the cord was in the form of a running noose which had been knotted to hold it in place after being drawn tight although it had not cut the flesh of the neck it had sunk deeply into it and simmons worked at the knot for some moments without result i suspect his fingers were not quite as steady as they might have been but it was evidently an intricate knot that's a new one on me he said at last i can't get it loose godfrey bent close above it and looked at it it is a peculiar knot he agreed if you'll permit a suggestion mr goldberger you'll cut the cord and leave the knot as it is it may help us to find the man who made it you're right agreed goldberger promptly cut the cord simmons simmons got out his pocket-knife opened it and slipped the blade under the cord cut it and pulled it out of the ridge of flesh he looked at it a moment and then handed it to goldberger the latter examined it carefully it's stained with blood too he remarked and passed it on to godfrey it looks like a curtain rod godfrey said and made a little tour of the room ah he added after a moment from the door opening into the grounds see here he was holding up the end of the cord by which the curtains covering the upper part of the double doors were controlled you were right mr coroner he said in thinking that the murderer entered by this door for he stopped here and cut off a piece of this cord before going into the room then he must also have stopped to make it into a noose remarked goldberger if he did that he was certainly a cool customer it's a wonder his victim didn't hear the noise he made making a knot isn't a noisy operation godfrey pointed out besides the back of the chair was toward the door and then of course it's possible his victim did hear him but then he would have jumped from the chair objected simmons not necessarily suppose you were sitting there and heard a noise and looked round and saw me standing there you wouldn't jump from the chair would you no i'd have no reason to jump from you perhaps vaughn thought he had no reason to jump from the man he saw if he saw anyone i'm inclined to think however that he didn't suspect anyone else was in the room until he felt the cord about his neck 
and of course said goldberger taking the cord again and looking at it it was while the murderer was making it into a noose with his blood-stained fingers that he stained it in that way don't you agree mr godfrey that is a possible explanation godfrey conceded but why did he make the second knot inquired the coroner the knot which holds the noose tight and prevents it from slipping if he hadn't knotted it like that he would have had to stand there holding it until his victim was dead as it was he didn't have to wait i shivered a little at the thought of the scoundrel calmly tying the knot to secure his noose and then leaving his victim to twitch his life out it's no little trick to tie a knot like that godfrey added thoughtfully i should like to study it all right agreed goldberger you can have it whenever you want it and he got a heavy manila envelope out of his pocket and placed the cord carefully inside now we must get that robe off we can't run any risk of having those fingerprints smeared it was a difficult job and a revolting one for the body had stiffened into its huddled posture but at last the robe was removed and the body itself lying at full length on its back on the couch seen thus with the light full on it the face was horrible and goldberger laid his handkerchief over the swollen and distorted features while at a sign from him simmons pulled down the portier from the inner door and placed it over the body then the coroner picked up the robe and held it out at arm's length what kind of a freak dress is this anyway he asked that's a robe said godfrey mr vaughan was a mystic a what a mystic a believer in hinduism or some other oriental religion they do dress this way all the time i believe so it is probably the dress of his order goldberger rolled the robe up carefully and said nothing more but i could see from his expression that he had ceased to wonder why vaughan had come to a strange and violent end surely anything might happen to a mystic then he placed the blood-stained handkerchief in another envelope and finally put his hand in his pocket and brought out half a dozen cigars now he said let's sit down and rest a while simmons tells me it was you who called him mr godfrey how did you happen to discover the crime the question was asked carelessly but i could feel the alert mind behind it i knew that godfrey felt it too from the way in which he told the story for he told it carefully and yet with an air of keeping nothing back of the mysterious light he said nothing but starting with my finding of the letter and summoning swain to receive it told of the arrangements for the rendezvous dwelling upon it lightly as a love affair which could have no connection with the tragedy he passed on to his own arrival from the city to swain's return from the rendezvous and finally to the screams which had reached us and to the discovery we had made when we burst into the house i summoned dr hinman immediately he added for miss vaughan seemed to be in a serious condition then i called simmons and suggested that he stop for you mr coroner for i knew that the case would interest you dr hinman arrived perhaps half an hour ahead of you and had miss vaughan put to bed at once and i guess you know the rest he concluded we had all listened intently i was pretty sure that simmons would make no inferences which godfrey wished to avoid but i feared the more penetrating mind of the coroner his first question proved that i was right to do so where is this man swain he asked he was suffering from the shock said godfrey and lester and dr hinman took him over to my place and put him to bed that's where they were when you got here he seemed to be suffering from a slight concussion hinman explained there was a swelling on one side of his head as though someone had struck him and the pupils of his eyes were unsymmetrical he had also a cut on the wrist he added after an instant's hesitation 
ah commented goldberger with a glance at godfrey had it been bleeding he cut himself when crossing the wall godfrey explained a mere scratch but i believe it did bleed a good deal ah said goldberger again and then he turned to the doctor did i understand you to say that he went to sleep he certainly did i gave him a good strong opiate to make sure of it do you think he'll sleep till morning he'll sleep nine or ten hours at least then that's all right said goldberger and settled back into his chair again but didn't anybody live in this house except that old man and his daughter aren't there any servants there must be some somewhere about answered godfrey to whom the question was addressed but lester and i looked through the lower floor and part of the upper one and didn't find any there's a bell there by the door but nobody answered when i rang we didn't have time to go all over the house we did find one thing though he added as if by an afterthought what was that there's an adept in one of the rooms upstairs goldberger sat up and stared at him an adept he repeated what's that an expert in mysticism i judge that vaughn was his pupil do you mean he's a hindu asked the coroner as though that would explain everything but godfrey was having his revenge i don't know whether he's a hindu or not he said airily i didn't get a very good look at him what was he doing goldberger demanded he was just sitting there again goldberger stared at him this time suspiciously but good heavens man he cried that was three or four hours ago you don't suppose he's sitting there yet yes said godfrey dryly i think he is goldberger's face flushed and he sprang to his feet impatiently show me the room he commanded glad to said godfrey laconically and led the way out into the hall the whole crowd tailed along after him as i rose to follow i saw that the outside world was turning gray with the approaching dawn the nurse hearing our footsteps on the stairs looked out in alarm and held up a warning finger godfrey paused for a word with her how is she he asked sleeping quietly said the nurse but please don't make any more noise than you can help we won't godfrey promised and crossed the hall to the door leading into the little entry then he paused and looked around at goldberger better go slow here he cautioned the adept has a pet cobra a snake the deadliest snake in the world goldberger drew back a little as did all the others i don't think it will bite us though added godfrey cheerfully if we don't crowd it it's sitting there too and he opened the outer door passed through and held back the curtain at the farther end i was just behind goldberger and simmons and i heard their gasp of amazement as they saw what lay beyond the scene had not changed in the slightest detail the crystal sphere still softly glowed with intangible shadows flitting across its surface the adept still sat cross-legged staring into its depths opposite him the cobra its hood distended swayed slowly to and fro but as we stood there staring a single delicate ray of sunlight coming through a pinhole in the curtained window struck the sphere and seemed to extinguish it the glow within it flickered and fluttered and finally vanished and it hung there dull and grey an instant later the motionless figure raised its arms high in the air with a motion somehow familiar then it got slowly to its feet crossed to the window drew back the curtain and flung wide the shutter the sun was just peeping over the trees to the east and for a second its light blinded me then i saw the adept bowing low before it his arms still extended 
once twice thrice he bowed as before a deity while we stood there staring then he turned slowly toward us enter friends he said calmly the peace of the holy one be on you and his love within your hearts end of chapter nine read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com